You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. So if you don't know, we are in a higher series. We are going through uh, the book, not the book, but the passion, the, 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 um, the scripture in Isaiah, Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9, where it says that um, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It's an amazing portion of scripture. And it kind of helps us figure out what we're doing down here when we're trying to kind of figure out what God is doing and why God does certain things and why things happen. And and why do you know, where do I play a part in that? Sometimes it's it's easy to forget that God is not us. Sometimes it forgets that we are not God and God's ways and his thoughts are higher than anything that we can come up with. Anything that we can make up out of our own our own finite minds and hearts. Amen. Amen. And sometimes I struggle with what I read in the gospel and what I read in the Bible, because sometimes I think to myself, God, why did you say it like that? Or why did you do it that way? Why is that portion of scripture in the Bible? It's so harsh or it's so uncomfortable. And and I just really like it would be a lot easier if that was just kind of nice and done and, and just with different words and just make people feel so much comfortable. But we have to understand that God does not do things our way. His thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our, are not our ways, amen? amen? Like you guys know, most of you know, sometimes I, I see things kind of in a sports lens. I love sports, um, and, and many times when I read uh, Jesus' kind of interactions with the disciples, I, I like to kind of think of him as a, like a football coach, kind of rallying his team, right? And Joe gets it, I know he does. <laughs> And, and, and naturally, I just think like Jesus is going to, you know, take this time to let the, the, the disciples know and his followers know and us 2000 years later, as we're reading it, he's going to let us know all the good things. He's going to kind of psych us out and just like every good head coach he's trying to rally the followers. Right. He's trying to rally the team. Right. He's trying to get them focused. Kind of with the raw, raw and the rallying. Right. I kind of see it some, similar to kind of like, you know, hey, 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 Peter, we're, we're going to fall. We're going to raise the dead. Yes. Yeah, we're going to raise the dead. Who's going to raise the dead? We're going to raise the dead. <laughs> we're going to we're going to cure the sick. Yeah. Who's going to cure the sick? We're going to cure the sick. <laughs> and, and I kind of see it as that, like, that's that's what I would do, because I because I want to focus on the good things. I want to let the disciples know, I want to let the followers know, hey, there's going to be a lot of amazing things that is going to be done with this message, right? Giving them the game plan. Uh, and, and honestly, and I'm not saying that, I just wish sometimes when you're talking to unbelievers that there wasn't the tough stuff that they read and that they go to, right? It's usually that's where they go to. Well, what about death? And what about hard things? And what about hell? And what about judgment? Why, why is that there? And why would God do that? And why, why is there bad things that happen to good people? Right? That's kind of what unbelievers kind of go to. And, and personally, I wish that wasn't there. That would be so amazing that we can just focus on the good stuff. But that's not what Jesus is right. And that's not what is in the word of God. Amen? In a portion of scripture, Jesus begins to kind of talk to to rally the disciples because he's going to send them out. And he's telling them that they are going to cure the sick. They are going to raise the dead. And then he begins to say, but don't bring any money. Don't bring any clothes. Don't bring any bags with you. Then it starts to get a little bit uncomfortable. Then Jesus begins to say, I'm sending you like sheep amongst wolves. Brothers will betray brothers. Fathers will betray their children. You will be arrested. People are going to want to shut you up. People are going to want to kill you. And I could just imagine that the raw, raw and the rallying is kind of settled down after that hearing that. And the disciples are kind of looking at each other like, huh? (laughs) Like, what did we just sign up for? What happened to the curing of the, of the diseases? What happened to raising the dead? Wait, wait this is going to be a tough road. 
And Jesus had a very special and a very direct way of calling for followers. He was very upfront and he was very honest. He often used very challenging and very strong language that would most certainly would offend some people back then and not to mention offend people today. He had a different way of capturing the hearts and the minds of his followers. And it's a little different than what we do today as a church. And that's just the truth. Today, our heart as a church is that we want everybody to feel welcomed. We want, to, we want everybody to feel special and comfortable for those who want to give their lives to the Lord. For every person that walks through these doors at Restoration LA, we, our heart as a church is that they feel comfortable and they feel welcomed and they feel at home. Amen? Amen. Right? That's the goal. That's not a bad goal. I don't believe that we sugarcoat the message here. And I don't believe we ever will sugarcoat the word of God. But we do want people to feel comfortable. And we do want people to feel welcomed. So much so that we have signs in the lobby that say you are welcomed here. Just in case if they walked in and they were debating if they are welcome here. And if the people who hugged them and shook their hands weren't nice enough. Maybe the sign will let them know that they are welcomed here. We have friendly people at our doors ready to give hugs and shake hands. We have ushers that help uh, seat people, ushers that walk around the building to make sure that our building is safe and your cars are safe. We have new coffee machines to help, help us brew the most godly coffee possible. <laughs> Danny, I don't know if you were able to, if you're following along. Were you able to get the website? You forgot about it? That's cool, no worries. If you ever went to our website, that wouldn't happen if you were up there, Josh. <laughs> me, me and Danny have a love-hate love, love relationship. We love each other. We love, mostly love. Don't worry about it, Danny. It's cool. It's going to distract everybody. But if you ever go to our website, we have pictures of smiley faces and our families, and we're talking together, and we're praying together. There's little images of our children, and they're running around with smiley faces, and it's like the good stuff, right? That nowhere is the video of Ethan kicking over my coffee in, in there, right? They're not running around. They're not, look, there it is. Thank you. Somewhere. I can see it. You can't see it. All right. Stop it. You're distracting me. Stop it, Danny. <laughs> Happy, smiley faces because we want people to feel comfortable in this place. The seats are soft. Kids ministry is awesome. Come to our church and enjoy God. That's our message. And I believe it's our goal and I believe it's a good goal. I believe that is a good thing. But when we read the Gospels, Jesus didn't have a pitch. He didn't tell the disciples how good Peter makes coffee. It had nothing to do with comfort and it had nothing to do with coffee. Amen. His Jesus's messages seemed to cut right to the hearts of the people he was that he was talking to, that he was calling on, ministering to people in a whole different way. Jesus's words separated the real followers from the fake followers. What was Jesus's message? Very simple. Follow me and die. <laughs> Now, I think that would be really strange if we had all of the little kids and the smiley faces in, in, in our videos and in our intros. And then at the end, it said, Restoration LA, follow Jesus and die. <laughs> right? That would put off a whole lot of people. That a lot of people would be very uncomfortable by that message. They wouldn't understand it right away. They were going to be like, whoa, something is really off about that church. That is weird. I want nothing to do with that. Yet, Jesus said that very thing. Follow me and die. Like I said, the dying part, I would have kept until the way end, months in advance, right? Or after the fact. But Jesus wasn't trying to add followers for followers' sake. He wasn't trying to add followers for numbers' sake. The goal wasn't the more followers I have, the more people who buy in, the more people that accept this message, then we can get the gospel out quicker, we can get the gospel out faster. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about adding followers to a friends list. Jesus was doing the will of God. And he, wasn't, he wouldn't do things the way we would do them or do things in our ways. He wasn't looking for comfort. Jesus was looking for followers who have chose him, who chose to follow him wholeheartedly. Separates the real followers from the fake followers. Follow and die. Follow and die. 
having a relationship with the Savior of the world and following him was everything, and to do so would cost them everything. Jesus was making the point known right off the bat what they were signing up for and what they were getting into. Remember, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn, to, turn with me to Matthew 10. This portion of scripture, kind of what I said in my intro, Jesus is sending out the disciples. Then he gets to this point, uh, this place in Matthew 10, verse 34. It says, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or your daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Very uncomfortable. I don't think anybody reads that and feels encouraged, feels uplifted. If anything, we're kind of knocked backwards, right? We, we need to sit down when we read this portion of scripture. This message was very countercultural. Very countercultural. This, this message right here that Jesus is sending out with his followers it flies in the face of anything that we want to read this morning or we want to read today. Jody kind of talked about it a few weeks back. We all have a dream, right? We have this American dream and, and, and a life that is all about the individual. A, we want to live a life that is all about security and comfort and safety. We want to do what we want to do. We want to do what makes us happy. We want to live unbothered, peace, prosperity, a life of free, free from anything that would make you happy or, or would bother you. We would all sign up for that life. Amen. I think we would. Absolutely. Today, our culture says, follow your dreams. Find the real you. It's all about you. Do what makes you happy. Love yourself. Self, 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 self. Everything revolves around you and your happiness, your goals, your plans, your life. Live your best life. That is the message that we constantly are running into in this world. Amen? Yeah. Am I wrong? No. But when we read the scriptures, when we read Matthew 10, there's some challenging words. Jesus didn't pull any punches and he didn't sugarcoat his message. He went straight to the heart and then essentially he ripped it out. My first point, Jesus came to bring a sword. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Is that a contradiction to what we know? Is that a contradiction to what we've sang about this morning? I know in Scripture, Scripture calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. That's the Christmas message. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9.6 John 16, verse 33, I have told you all this so you may have peace in me. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace. So where does a sword come from? Why would there be a divide? Why would there be a sword? When, when many scriptures beyond what I read this morning clearly say that Jesus will bring peace, that he is peace. He's the prince of peace. The fact is, only one thing could bring this kind of division and sword. And that's the good news of the Messiah being there. It's the good news of the Messiah arriving on earth. Simply that alone would already eventually just cause a split. It would cause others to reject. 
Because Jesus claiming to be the Messiah and bringing on a good news would cause a divide naturally. There would be pushback. There will be conflict. The divide and the sword. And if you know anything about the history of Israel, Israel was God's chosen people. God's chosen nation. Yet many in the nation did not follow God. They did not obey his laws. They didn't believe his truth. They didn't trust in his promises. Many followed other gods and worshiped other idols, and they offered sacrifices to pagans' gods. The people of Israel believed that when the Messiah would come, that he would bring peace and prosperity. They believed that once the Messiah came, their struggle would be over. That there would be freedom from Rome. There would be freedom from their oppressors. And this wasn't, it didn't happen the way that they thought it was going to happen. Right. It wasn't the way that they expected it. Right. Israel suffered for centuries, but they believed that when the Messiah would return, it would unite and bring upon an ease and a peace to their lives. And when Jesus came, it didn't happen the way they, it didn't walk out the way they thought it was going to walk out. And because of that, many believed, uh, rejected Jesus. Because of that, many didn't believe that Jesus could be the Messiah. And we have to understand, and I believe that we know now, that Christ did not come to give a man a tranquil and undisturbed life. Christ came to save souls. And because of that, many rejected his truth. We do understand that Jesus brought an eternal answer to our struggles here on earth. We do understand that there is eternal answer to the pain and the suffering and the strife and the division and that we feel today. We do understand that. But what Jesus is telling his disciples here is that following Jesus would bring some conflict. Jesus continues. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. You see, when Jesus is follow, uh, get, getting his followers and talking with his followers and spending time with his followers, some people were willing to give up everything for Jesus. And some people were willing to give them up in total rejection of Jesus. There was a division. The fact that somebody in a household would say, I am following that man, would already cause a natural divide. We see that in biblical times, and we see that many times today, that there is a battle taking place. There is an earthly kingdom coming up against the kingdom of God. Choices needed to be made. Sides needed to be taken. And Jesus would not and does not and will not compromise against evil. Sin and the spirit will not tolerate each other. Hence the war. Hence the sword. Hence the division that we often seen between families, our friends, and certain groups of people. Families, friends, people groups, lines in the sand needed to be drawn the minute you said that I was following Jesus. Simply choosing Jesus, simply choosing to follow Jesus would cause quarrels and conflicts that would tear families apart and families would naturally reject each other. Don't worry, church, it gets worse. <laughs> Point number two. Love Jesus more. Jesus begins to continue. He says, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. Does that sound good to anybody in here? Anybody happy about that? That's tough. I love my son. I love my daughters. I love my wife. I love my friends. And I know that I know, I know I love them because the Bible tells me I'm supposed to love. John 13 says a new command commandment I give to you that you love one another. By all this, people will know that you are my disciples. If you love for if you have love for one another. Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts. First commandment. Second, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Luke 6, love your enemies. 
Love one another. Romans 12, Romans 13. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. All we ever know and when we come to church, it's, it's love. So now there's this paradigm of we got to love Jesus more than we love our mother. We got to love Jesus more than we love our father. We got to love Jesus more than we love our sons and daughters. And I believe on the outside, we can say, of course, sure. Yes, absolutely. I love Jesus. But then we get into this thing about our actions. What are our actions saying? Right. And it's crazy and it's not comfortable. There's portions of scriptures, Luke 14, where Jesus is talking to the disciples again. And he's saying, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else. Some translations change that to if you want to be my disciples, you must by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. That is not comfortable. That is not peaceful. That is not encouraging. That is confusing. But Jesus is letting his disciples know and anyone who would follow him that their love must surpass the love of the deepest, strongest natural love that they may have on earth. We must love Jesus more than we love our parents. We must love Jesus more than we love our children. We must love Jesus more than we love our spouse with our words, with our with our actions. Amen. Amen. So we have to understand that there is no contradiction to this point. Yes, we are called to love. Yes, we are called to love strongly. Yes, we are called to love loudly. But that love can never outweigh the love that we have for Jesus. Amen. By comparison, there is a difference in the love that you have for these people and a difference in the love that you have for me. Amen. Amen. The love you have for them can't outweigh the love that you have for the Lord. We have to understand much like it is today, the gospel would bring division. And because of the gospel, we would have to make choices that would otherwise look like we have chosen Jesus over even our families over our friends, over our children, over our spouses, right? Point number three, take up your cross. If you refuse, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. We have this joke that I think we, we, we often kind of say that, like, oh, you see those crazy kids in the front row? Those are mine. That, that's, that's my cross to bear. Right? Oh, the job I'm in? Oh, don't worry. That's just my cross to bear. My spouse? Oh, yes, yes. She, she's my cross to bear. <laughs> just an example. She would say that about me. And we make jokes about that cross, the bearing your cross. My ministry, it's, it's, my, it's just my cross to bear. It's not your cross. Your spouse is not your cross. Your kids are not your cross. Your ministry is not your cross. Your job, your annoying neighbors, it's not your cross. Embracing Jesus is to embrace the cross. And Jesus is telling his followers and his disciples here something that has not yet happened. And they were probably very confused about his statement about taking up his, uh, their cross and following him. What Jesus was saying is that to embrace Christ is to embrace death. Now, we know today that the cross represents lots of things to us. Some might see a cross and we might think, you know, that is that represents love. That represents freedom. You know, some might see the cross and say, oh, yes, that's a very nice religious symbol. That's the cross. But to the disciples, all they've ever seen at this time was a cross being used as an instrument of death. It was a tool of execution. Criminals crucified to make a statement for all to see. Jesus sitting them, rallying them around, saying, take up your cross. Their minds, all they can see are criminals. 
crucified to a cross along a roadside so the whole world can see. Public shame. Horror. And Jesus is asking them, reminding them, telling them, calling them to take up their cross. Jesus is basically saying, I'm calling you to die. 2,000 years later, Jesus is calling us to take up our cross. That's not comfortable. It doesn't make me feel excited. That's scary. That's a little wild. That's uncomfortable. I, I don't want to die. And many of us don't want to die. That's why there's a fight. That's why there's a divide. That's why there's a resistance. That's why there's a, this, is, this natural fight between dying to ourselves and allowing Jesus to take over. Jesus is asking each and every one of us who have called Jesus Lord and Savior to take up their cross. Now that can look a whole lot of different for lots of different people. I believe it looks like self-denial. I believe dying on a cross can look like self-denial. It's a death to self. Self-denial. It looks like self-sacrifice. Self-abandonment. Dying to yourself doesn't always need to be a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. But yes, for some Christians around the globe, it is even a physical thing. The truth that we, that there are followers all around this globe that just saying the name of Jesus will get them killed. And we don't see that or know that or feel that in our Western Christianity. It doesn't make too much sense. We really just miss it. But yes, there are people that put their lives on the line for the message of the gospel daily. Canceling your movie plans for the men's night. It's not taking up your cross. <laughs> Missing out on, on, on Friday night dinner because of home group. It's not taking up your cross. It's not what we're talking about here. And that's definitely not what Jesus was talking about when he was rallying and calling for his disciples. That's not the kind of dying to self that we're talking about, church. We're talking about giving up our lives for the Lord. The gospel carrying the cross of his message everywhere we go. It's a symbol and a look of death. There is no following Jesus without each of us carrying our cross. Uncomfortable. Couldn't we just talk about peace? Couldn't we just talk about heaven? How about blessings? Blessings are good. Who doesn't like blessings? Isaiah 55, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. When we were d discussing and praying and planning for this series, my, my, my fourth point of the morning was where I felt that the Lord kind of gripped my heart for us today. And that's let go of your life. Jesus begins to, to, to continue on and says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And as we are focusing on Jesus's ways being different than our ways, higher than our ways, his thoughts being higher than our thoughts. Sometimes we need to realize that as we read the scriptures and as we read the word of God and as we are living out this life of, of, of being saved and being Christians, that it's possible that we could possibly be computing and seeing things and hearing things from a very finite earthly point of view. A very earthly perspective. And sometimes we need to just sit down and be still and allow God to speak over our lives. Jesus is saying that we must give up our life. We must let go of our life. If you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. 
But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. What does that look like? What does your life look like? You, you answer that question as you sit down here this morning. What is your life? Is it your kids? Is it your friends? Is it your job? Is it your hobbies? Is it your passion? What is your life? Is it your comfort? Is it your happiness? Is it your joy? If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. I think last week, Brett did an amazing job. It's a sermon about reconciliation and forgiveness. And I just want to say that if you were in this room and you heard that message and you felt the Holy Spirit and you were wrestling with that message... And at any moment during that message, you said, no, no, I'm not forgiving that person. No, that's not me. I'm not talking to that person. I'm not going up to that person. I'm not making that thing right. No, that guy's crazy. At any moment, if you said that and those thoughts crossed your mind, you might be clinging on to your life. You might be clinging on to your life. You might be clinging it, clinging on to it, hoarding it, saving it for yourself. My question this morning to you, church, is how do you know if you're clinging on to your life? How do you know if you're clinging on to your life? One answer I have for you is in every situation is the major concern what's in it for me. Before you do anything, before you say yes to anything, before you sign up for anything, before there, there's a, a computing that takes place and the first thing that comes out of your mind is, what's in it for me? If that's the case, you might be clinging on to your life. Is life always about your happiness and comfort and what you're going to get from others or from God before you sign up for things, before you walk into things? Then we might be trying, we might be trying to cling on to our lives. If we find ourselves trying to save ourselves from pain, discomfort, suffering, for some of us, even responsibility, then we may have yet to give up our lives for Christ fully. This is uncomfortable. This doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel nice. And it's a tough place to be. It's a tough place to be clinging on to our lives. Because this place is only focused on the temporary. When we're struggling with clinging on to our lives, we are only focused on the temporary. We're only focused on the earthly things of this life. And the truth is, we've all been here at some point. You might be in this place right now. You might have been in this place a couple years back or whatever it might be. So none of us are exempt from this. And oh, yeah, I've graduated from this. We can very much easily walk right into this place right here. But I believe this, this place of clinging on to our lives need to be addressed. Are you consumed by life's possessions? Jody spoke a little bit about this a couple weeks back. Are you consumed by life's possessions? Do you need things? More things, bigger things, better things? And we always have to say there's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. But are you defined by those things? Do those things make up your life? Are you wrapped up? Are you defined by the things that you have? Is your life, the life that Jesus Christ died for, is it represented by the things that you own? I think when we think of it like that, that's, that's pretty tough. Jesus Christ died for each and every one of us on a cross, body broken, bled for your life. Yet your life is represented and identified with the things that you have. It's not a good place. Are you consumed by pleasure, happiness, the goal and your goal? My goal is to avoid all roads to conflict, discomforts, just trying to hang on to a happy life. 1 John 
chapter 2, verse 15 to 17 says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But as always, God enters a but in there. There's an answer. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Thank you, Jesus, for always giving us a way out. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Many of us give up our lives for something. We give up our lives for what we would say are good causes that are good things. We might give up our lives um, for our kids. We might give up our finances for nice clothes. We, we give up our time for hobbies and fishing. We give up our bodies for sports. A lot of us are giving up our lives for something. And it's natural and that's normal and that's a good thing. It's the way it works. If you think and feel that health is important to you, then you're going to do things that are healthy. Right? If you think and you feel that money is important, then you're going to do things and make decisions that are driven by money. If you think and you feel that relationships are important to you, then you're going to make decisions and your life is going to prioritize relationships. Your life represents your interests, all of ours, your passions, your relationships, your hobbies, your pleasures, your careers, and so on. And these are all good things. Great things, but not everything that we give up has an eternal value. And I think we all need to get to a place for that. That we understand. Jesus is not asking us to be sacrificial people and just give up some things on some days, every now and again, just give up something. He made it very clear that Jesus wants us to give up everything for him. Everything, everything we are, everything that we say we are, he wants us to give it up to him. Jesus has called us to a life of sacrifice that is for his sake, for his glory, for his kingdom, for his message of the gospel. In Matthew 16, Jesus is, is just having these conversations with the disciples again. It's a different setting. And he's letting them know, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? But if you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Jesus is calling the church, his followers, the disciples, us. Jesus is calling us to a life of sacrifice that is related and hand in hand with his message. Our sacrifices are to promote him and the gospel. Everything we give up is for his sake. For the purpose of Jesus. For the interest of Jesus. The word sake refers to an attitude that is out of consideration for. And when you do something out of, out of consideration for someone else, you are identifying and placing an importance and significance and value on that person with your actions. When you do something for the sake of another, your why and your reasoning and your actions are related to that someone. And Jesus is commanding us to place an importance and a significance and a value on him. His ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I, I'm, I'm standing up here and, we, and I'm speaking and I know that this is a lot. I know it's uncomfortable. Jesus is asking for a lot. But even a lot doesn't even. It's not even what he's asking for. He's asking for everything. 
Jesus is asking for everything. And from an earthly perspective, we are losing ourselves. We are losing us. But from a kingdom perspective, we are finding ourselves. We are finding ourselves. We are gaining so much. We are finding our lives when we give up our lives to Jesus. Our purpose, our identity is found. When we give up who we think we are, we will find out who we truly are in Christ. When we trust Jesus and we put our faith in Jesus, every aspect of our being is found in him. Acts 20. Verse 24 says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the good work that God started. Philippians chapter three says, Verse 7 to 9 says, I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Paul gave up his life. His long list of, 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 of amazing things that he has done. Gave it up. So he can be propped up? No. So he can be happy? No. So he can gain Christ. And I don't want this church to feel like you're losing something by giving up your life. Because you're not. That would be a lie from the pit of hell. We understand that John 10, 10 says the thief's purpose is to still kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, a life and life abundantly. That's Jesus's goal. Isaiah 55 again. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Give up your life so you can gain it. Deny yourself. Live for yourself. Take up your cross or ignore the cross. Follow Christ, follow the world. Lose your life, save your life. Forsake the world, gain the world. Keep your soul, lose your soul. Share his reward and glory or we lose our reward and glory. Choices needed to be made for the disciples. To the followers back 2,000 years ago, they needed to make a tough decision. Doesn't change for us here. A decision needs to be made. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. For you what? For you died to this life. And your real life? is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. It's an amazing portion of scripture. It's very, very uncomfortable. But what Colossians 3 is saying, that the part of us that resists God, when we say yes to the Lord, is dead. The part of us that looks out only for our own needs... It's dead. The selfish side of us that's only focused on what's going to make us happy and make us look good is dead. The part of us that has selfish motives, it's dead. The part of us that lusts after the flesh and sin, it's dead. It's not about us anymore. It's not about self. My last scripture. John chapter 12. 
says, Jesus replied, John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus replied, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But his death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the father will honor anyone who serves me. If we can bow our heads this morning. If you're wrestling with this portion of scripture at any level, I want to invite you to stand up. struggling and wrestling with living for yourself at any level just the thought of it makes you feel just a certain way I would like to invite you to stand up if even the words dying to yourself makes you uncomfortable I would like to invite you to stand up giving up things for Christ, giving up everything you own, everything you have, if that's you, if that just bothers you just a little bit, just, if you don't understand it, I would like to ask you to stand up. If you are struggling with sin and lust, I would like to ask you to stand up. If you're struggling with your identity and who you are in Christ, I would like to ask you to stand up. one, if you're clinging to your life, I would like to ask you to stand up. I don't believe any of us fully understand what that looks like. None of us has this down. I believe a lot of us naturally just want to cling to our lives. We want to stay away from discomfort. We want to stay away from death. We want to stay away from hard things. We want to stay away from conflict. It's natural. But as followers of Jesus, he's asking us to have faith in him, to trust in him, the amazing things that we have in this life has nothing it's a drop in a bucket of the amazing things we're going to have in our next life if you give up your life for me you will find it I struggle with that church I think we all to a certain degree struggle with this consumed by what the world thinks is important by the pleasures happiness the things of this life but my prayer this morning is that we as a church would understand the importance that God has placed on the eternal 
the importance of us giving up our lives and placing it in God's hands and knowing that it is, it's in the best place it can be. It's okay to say, God, I don't have all the answers and I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm trying to control things and I'm trying to get my hands dirty and, I'm, and everything. But you know what? God is saying, just give it up. Give it up. Let go of your life for the Lord. Give up your life and you will find it. Take up your cross. Embrace the cross. To embrace Jesus is to embrace the cross. Our lives are no longer our lives. Myself is no longer mine. It's God's. And I pray that this morning we can make that exchange. That we can say, Lord, my life is yours. Lord, my decisions are yours. Lord, I'm placing a trust and a faith in my in, 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 in eternity today by giving up, by giving up my life for you. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you would see those who are standing this morning. Those who are sitting down, Lord, I pray, will continue to give up your, their lives to you on a daily basis, God. It's a daily sacrifice. It's a, da a daily denial of oneself for your glory and for your message. King Jesus, we ask, God, that you would help us. Holy Spirit, help us, God, to see the importance and the eternal. Lord, help us take up our cross and help us let go, God, where we are not letting go. For your glory, for your message, for your kingdom, Lord, we trust you. As we sang this morning about victory, God, I pray, Lord, that there would be victory in this place. That there would be victories in our lives as we begin to let go and let you be God in our lives, Savior in our lives, Lord of our lives. In your mighty name, Jesus, amen.